all here. So I guess while we have this in our hand, we can talk about this for just a second. Uh, so this is the way it was explained to me. Yep, I'm open for correction. So Sheila is your go-to. She's on top. She carries all the weight and responsibility. So, yeah, amen. So if you, if you have an issue uh, that needs to go to the prayer chain, Sheila, call that number. And then, as I, re as I understand it then, she will group text all of the numbers on the left. And then, corresponding across the page, then the, then the calls get done. So that, that's, the way I, that's the way I understand it. So, um, I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be done or said other than if you can get a Sheila, you got it all. Terry, go ahead. You can text, you can text Sheila too. That way it's easy for her to forward. Yeah, okay. Call or text. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right, great. Set my bulletin down somewhere, so let me get reorganized here. What are you willing to give me? if I hand him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. Matthew, the 26th chapter, verse 15. Jared continues the study of the confession um, at 9.30, adult class and new members right here uh, where you're sitting. Today is our communion service, and uh, as is our tradition, take a 10-minute break and regather when you hear the music begin. There'll be no choir practice and no evening service. New co-ed Bible study, you'll see, um, meeting at the Stiff Home, this not this coming Friday, but Friday the 17th at 6 p.m. And you'll see there the topic, be looking at Bob Duco's Top 10 Proofs, Bring Snacks. Of course, you even have to write that, Bring Snacks? <laughs> Men's Bible study, Tuesday, 10 a.m. at McLeod's. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, you're late. Uh, fill out your mission pledge cards. Uh, there's some there, little blue ones in the, in the basket in the front pew. Pop that into the uh, offering box, and uh, we'll count you in. Acts and Facts and Free Grace Broadcaster. Uh, are here for the taking. That's on the foyer table. That would be the one directly behind me. And I guess we all know it already, but today ends daylight savings time. So I enjoyed my leisurely morning, extra cup of coffee. So that was great. All right. Anything else then that I've missed, omitted? Our scripture for meditation is... Uh, from Matthew 26, read verses 1 through 16.
Let's stand together and open in prayer. Go. Father in heaven, as we come before you this day, we ask that our hearts be quieted and calm before you. That as we pray and as we come into this service, your Holy Spirit would commune with us and hold us up. We thank you, Lord, for a, a country that we live in that allows, at least for the time, freedom of religion. Thank you for the blessings that we have placed on us every single day. And Lord, we're thankful for the things that even if we perceive are not blessings, Lord, are still for our good and to your glory. For this nation, Lord, we pray that you would have your hand upon it, that you would guide those in leadership, protect them, build a hedge about them, Father. Let there be a revival that goes from shore to shore in this nation, that your wrath and your anger would be stayed for a time, and you would delight the saved whom you will. For our pastor, Father, we pray that you would embrace him and hold him up, gird him as he brings forth the message, that the words that come from his lips convict those who do not know you. And Lord, and more importantly, the words that come from his lips would be an admonition to those of us who have strayed and looked away and have felt alone. And it's this loneliness, Lord, only because we've chosen it, not you. Draw us back to you, O Father. Give us an attentive heart and ear and eyes to see. Be with us this, this morning. Every will in our lives. And these things we ask, Father, in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Remain standing. Good morning. Take your red Trinity hymnal, the red one, and turn to number 38, number 38 in the Trinity hymnal. <coughs>
have a uh, ask for a congregation's favorite hymn, and I saw a hand over here and a reason for the favorite hymn. Sheila, go ahead. Uh, 201 in the Brown. 201 in the Brown. Um, for whatever reason, it was going through my head this morning, and I just think it's a hymn that really embodies the um, gospel of the good news of Christ and what he did for us, and I uh, thought it was appropriate for our community Sunday as well. Okay. And 201 in the Brown.
Scripture reading this morning is 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter. We'll be reading verses 7 through 23. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur and Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messages throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is the king at Hebron. With Absalom went two hundred men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his, his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of a sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all of his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and the Carathites and all the Pelathites and all 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay for the king, for you are a foreigner, foreigner and an exile from your home. You only came yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us since I go out? Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives and my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether death or for life, there also your servant will be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all of his men and the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. Take your brown hymnal again and turn to number 478. 478 in the brown.
Our scripture text this morning is found in 2 Samuel chapter 15. In our study, Believers Under Trial, we covered the subject last time, the hurt or pain of past memories. We discovered that sometimes the pain of past memories is so acute that people will actually recolor the past to paint it in a more pleasant use so they can bear it. This is a form of selective memory. We choose to remember the good, ignore the bad. Israel did this with their servitude in Egypt. When they got tired of eating manna in the wilderness, what did they do? Well, they thought only of the variety of food that they had in Egypt, which they had the audacity to label as free, (laughs) forgetting all the back-breaking labor and cruelty of the Egyptian taskmasters. Never wise to try to forget the past by reshaping what happened or denying what happened. Truth sets men free, not lies. You know, we're seeing a bit of this in our own country when you think about it. This whole business of taking down statues, you know, uh, because uh, Jackson, for example, had uh, slaves, so uh, we need to take down the, his uh, monuments and so forth. Well, I visited his gravesite and his home in Lexington, Kentucky. And let me tell you, the man was a godly man, slaves or not. Guess what he did with those slaves? Every Sunday morning, he taught the slaves from his own house and had Bible studies for them when, in a day when they were not given the privilege of being able to go to uh, churches and so forth of that nature. And so, you know, we weren't living in the past. We weren't living in those days. So to take where we are today in terms of coming to the ideas of uh, the end of slavery and those kind of things, that wasn't in those days. So we don't want to take what we know today and throw it on the past and say, oh, oh, wicked, wicked, let's tear down his his, uh, statues and so forth. If you go to the cemetery, you'll see the godly examples of his life and the the ministers that came from uh, his family. In a, in a day of civil war and persecution. We notice, too, that God has a selective forgetfulness. On a number of occasions, Israel so angered God by their sin that he uh, contemplated wiping them out completely. Both Moses and Aaron had to intercede, and God chose to forget their rebellion for the sake of his name, his promise, his covenant. He had a selective forgetfulness on God's part, was based on his love for his chosen people. He can forget because he has forgiven, and that is the beauty of salvation. He He can forgive because he has paid the debt for the sin in the person of his beloved son. Now today, I want to address the whole idea of the pain of betrayal. We're looking... Say, well, these are, this is a terrible series. All you do is talk about pain every week. We're going to get to the joy side of this. I got a, the second series coming in is going to deal with that. But we need to be realistic about the pain that we suffer as believers and see what God is doing in our life. Even the pain 
is to reform us, it is to make us like Christ, and it is to prepare us to receive joy with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. Bless these truths to our heart. And some of these things are hard to, to chew on, but we ask, Lord, that you will grant us your grace as we study together these various pains that we have in the Christian life. None of them we can be sure of. None of our pains can even approximate what you endured. We are sinners. We deserve, uh, in, in many ways, the chastening of the Lord, pain that comes our way. But the, your innocent son, oh my, deserved nothing, and yet he bore it all for our sake. Bless the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're looking today at the pain of betrayal, pain, pain of betrayal. And in our uh, scripture text this morning, which is 2 Samuel 15, we have the pain of a counselor who becomes an enemy. The account of Ahithophel and David stands out before us as one of the most heinous betrayals in biblical history, but it certainly is not an isolated incident, as we're going to see. Verse 12 says, While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel the Gilodite, David's counselor, to come from Gilho, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12. Verse 31 says, Now David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. What a brilliant coup on Absalom's part. He reached into David's kingdom and he snatched away the one man in all of his realm whom David relied upon for solid, competent, military counsel in matters of state. President Trump has General Kelly by his side. And David had Ahithophel by his side. We read in the scripture, verse 23 in chapter 16, Now in those days the advice of Ahithophel, the, the, the advice that he gave, was like that of one who inquires of God. Oh, wow. That was how both David, I'm still reading scripture, that was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. 2 King Samuel, 2 Samuel rather, 16 verse 23. It was not uncommon in biblical days for Israel's kings to inquire of the Lord concerning decisions of state. When Jehoshaphat allied himself with Ahab of the northern kingdom, they wanted to inquire how ensuing battle would turn out if they went to battle. And Ahab received this glowing report from his false prophets. Let me read it for you. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give it to the king's hand. 2 Chronicles 18, verse 5. Glowing report. Well, Jehoshaphat 
was not convinced. He sensed that these hired uh, prophets were just telling King Ahab what he wanted to hear, which is exactly right. But Jehoshaphat asks, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? 2 Chronicles 18, verse 6. Well, Ahab knew of one, a prophet named Micaiah, but Ahab's view of him was this. There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him (laughs) because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah, 2 Chronicles 18, verse 7. Now there's the proof. I mean, think about this. Ahab had hired false prophets to kind of tickle his ears. But he could not bear to hear the truth told by Micaiah, God's true prophet. This was not a problem, however, with Ahithophel because, as we read, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how, listen, I'm still reading scripture. That was how David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. So, Absalom is rebelling against his father. But he reveres Ahithophel's advice. David being the one that's being rebelled against. He, know, he knew of Ahithophel as being an honorable man and one that would give good counsel. So David didn't question Ahithophel's advice. Absalom didn't question Ahithophel's device. Though not a prophet at all, both of these men treated Ahithophel as they would had he been a prophet. His counsel was that good. It was that insightful. He had proved himself time and time again as a man of wisdom and prowess, especially in matters of war. So David knew he was in deep trouble. He was in deep trouble. His chief advisor, his best military genius had now betrayed him by becoming part of Absalom's conspiracy. What was he to do? What could he do? I want you to think about that. David's able counselor was now Absalom's able counselor. David was devastated to say the least. It was inconceivable that his longtime counselor would now side with the conspiracy to overthrow his kingdom. Can you imagine that? He, what that must have done to him? He, he, he's thinking about it. He's stewing over it. You know, he reflects on this in Psalm 47, verse 9. He says, even my close friend whom I trusted, 
who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He's talking about betrayal. A more descriptive analysis of his anguish is found in Psalm 55, verse 9 and following. He, re, he says, Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. If an enemy were insulting me, I, I, I would endure it. If a foe were raising his hand against me, I, I could hide from him. But it is a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walk with the throng at the house of God. Evening, morning, noon, I cry out in distress. God hears my voice. He ransoms me unarmed, unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me, men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friend. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Wow. Words that cut. Words that slice. Words that have death in their meaning. What could David do? Well, he did the only thing he could do. We read, Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. Just a few words. You think you have to pray long prayers when you're praying to get something place with God? Count it out. Let me count it out for you here. O Lord, one, two, turn Ahithophel's, three, four, counsel five, into six, foolishness, number seven. Seven word prayer. But they were the right words. They were the right words. He goes on in Psalm 55, verse 9, he says, Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Well, the conspiracy <laughs> was in full bloom. Absalom had the lion's share of the warriors. Ten northern tribes to David's two southern tribes. David knew he had to vacate Jerusalem or be slaughtered. He knew Ahithophel to be a wise and shrewd in military matters. He knew Absalom would imbibe whatever Ahithophel had to say. His only hope was in God. Yet God plus one is more powerful than a whole army without God. 2 Samuel 17 verse 14. Let me read it for you. The Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. 2 Samuel 17, verse 14. I mean, I'm sure as David looked at this, he's thinking, I'm a goner. All those northern tribes in my country, ten of them, they've sided with Absalom. The conspiracy has grown, and now they got Ahithophel. What do I got? 
I got Jerusalem and two southern tribes, and now I have to even flee from Jerusalem because these guys from the north are coming to get me. Secondly, I want you to note that a friend becomes a counselor. How in the world was the counsel of Ahithophel to be frustrated? I mean, everybody listened to his counsel with bated breath, hanging on every word, reverencing him as though he were a prophet of God, even though he wasn't a prophet of God. But they believed that his advice came from God. He was that wise. And they thought, well, we certainly want God on our side as we go up against David. What do you advise, Ahithophel? You can see by this that most of Israel was convinced that David was no good for the kingdom. A change just had to be made. Verse 12 and 13, the conspiracy gained strength. And Absalom's following kept on increasing. And the messenger came and told David, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Boy, talk about getting whacked time and time again. It's just getting worse. Enter Hushai. Hushai. David did have to flee Jerusalem in haste and in disgrace, I might add. The Bible tells us that he ascended the Mount of Olives, verse 30, head covered, weeping as he went. But as he reached the summit, a man named Hushai met him. Hushai was more than a member of David's council. Verse 37 calls him David's friend. He wanted to go with David, but the king thought him better a help if he would return to Jerusalem and kind of feign allegiance to Absalom. And in this way, he could inform David of any intrigue might be planned by Absalom and then frustrate Ahithophel's counsel. Verse 37 tells us that Hushai arrived back in Jerusalem just at the time when Absalom entered the city. David had already escaped, but by the nick of time. Well, Absalom lost no time in seeking the counsel of Ahithophel, which was this. Pursue David now, without delay. Strike while the iron's hot kind of thing. David and his men are tired. They're hungry. They're weak from travel. Get on the move. Normally, Absalom would have acted upon that counsel, right? Without hesitation. But Hushai had made a strong case for coming to Absalom's aid, and so he wanted to hear from Hushai as well. Well, here's Hushai's counsel. David is a scrapper. This you know. And what is more, he will not be found where you expect him to be found. He will be holed up somewhere in a cave ready to pounce on anyone pursuing him. When David wins, all Israel will desert you. That was Hushai's counsel. 
And we read, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Ah, the advice of Hushai is better than that of Ahithophel. Oh, wait just a minute. Why would Absalom be so quickly disposed to accept the advice that David's friend turned counselor? He doesn't even seem to be suspicious of this turnabout in loyalty. How can that be? 2 Samuel 17, verse 14. The Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. That's how. And the rest, as they say, is history. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel had been shunned for Hushai's, he went home and hanged himself. The next day, Absalom was killed in battle, and David's kingdom was solidified once more. Only God can do things like this. History is strewn with the path of betrayers. This is only one account of one betrayer recorded in the Bible. There are many more. David himself commander-in-chief of Israel's army, betrayed a noble soldier named Uriah by sleeping with his wife Bathsheba and then later orchestrating Uriah's death to conceal his sin. Now one does not expect the commander-in-chief to betray a foot soldier's loyalty and dedication. But David did it. Rebecca betrayed Isaac by deceiving him into blessing her favorite son Jacob over Esau for the family headship. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers out of jealousy as they sold him as a slave to Midianite traders that were passing by. In Egypt, he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife for being an honorable man who refused to fornicate with her. Then when he was thrown in prison, he was betrayed by Pharaoh's Cupbearer, who was also in prison, who forgot about him instead of speaking to Pharaoh for his release. Betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. And you think you have it rough. Samson was betrayed by Delilah in retribution for all of Samson's masterful defeats of the Philistines, the captors of God's people. Jesus was betrayed by Judas to his enemies who sought his life, but also by Peter, who denied him in any association with him. And also by all the disciples of whom we read, then everyone deserted him and fled. Mark 14, verse 15. Why would they flee? They were no doubt fearful that they too would be arrested, and they would be tried, and they would be sentenced to die. So they head for the hills. Paul could say, as the apostle Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. And when Paul's first hearing before Caesar's tribunal was set, Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. 
betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. Perhaps you have your own experience of betrayal that you could add to the list. Most of us do. Life in our sinful world has not changed for the better in this area, and betrayal is one of the most hurtful experiences that you can go through. So how do we understand betrayal and apply some biblical healing? Second point in your outline. Number one, betrayal causes acute pain because it involves those who purport to be our friends. That's the height of the hurt. Could David have ever imagined that Ahithophel, his longtime comrade in battle and diplomacy, would ever abdicate his position of chief counselor to become the advisor of rebellious Absalom? I don't think he could ever think of that. Could David have contemplated that Absalom his own son, his own flesh and blood would seek his life and his throne. But it happened. It would appear that nothing is sacred. That the strings of loyalty are tied rather loosely for many people. Much of the sting of betrayal is the utter incredulity of it. We're shocked, not in the fact that an enemy has aimed his sights to destroy us, but that our friend has done this. Sometimes our friends are no better than those of Job, who allegedly came to sit by him in the dust and comfort him in his physical and mental agony, through their counsel. Yet in the end, what did Job say of them? Let me read it for you. I've heard many things like these, he tells his friends. I've heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. Oh, wow. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. Men open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to evil men and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. Job 16, verse 2 and following. You say, oh man, that's a terrible thing to say about people who are trying to help. And I would answer, yeah, it's a terrible thing to have to say things like that to a person that's supposed to be your helper. Yet such is often the case. 
This does not mean that we should lie to one another to try to make people feel better. But Job was innocent of sin. His friends' accusations were cruel. (laughs) They were unwarranted. But they believed themselves correct. Be careful, folks, how you address your friends in their time of trouble. They don't need a scolding. They don't need a, I told you so. They need to hear what Job says he would have done if the shoe had been on his foot. My mouth would encourage you. Truth can be spoken in love, and it must be spoken in love if there's to be any encouragement in it. Paul put it this way, we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Okay, that's, that's a good thing that you warn them. And he goes on, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. While Jesus knew all along the true nature of Judas and what he was up to, he was nevertheless, it was nevertheless a grief to him to confide to his disciples, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scriptures. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. John 13, verse 18. Strange way to define betrayal, isn't it? He who shares my bread. But perhaps not so strange at all. In my 50 plus years of ministry, it has often been those I have helped the most, prayed for most earnestly, met their physical and spiritual needs, counseled when they were in distress. It's been those who seem to have no problem walking away for greener pastures. That's happened time and time again. They seem to have missed what Judas missed. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John 15, verse 13. Betrayal is hurtful because it comes from those we count to be our friends. Secondly, betrayal is hurtful because it sacrifices people for lesser things. What do you value? (laughs) Think about it. Did Ahithophel gain anything by betraying David for Absalom? Before his defection, he was a respected military advisor, respected by both David and Absalom. We read it. But after his defection, David, the friend of God, is praying against him. And Absalom prefers the counsel of Hushai over him. He's not promoted for his defection. He's demoted. He's not elevated in prestige and importance. He is disgraced. And sensing his shame, he goes home and ends his own life. But he wasn't thinking on that. 
when he betrayed David. But it happened. What did Joseph's brothers gain by selling Joseph to the Midianites as a slave? They faked his death. They fabricated a lie to their father to cover their sin. And many years later, standing before Joseph, whom they did not recognize, they were still guilt-laden for what they did to Joseph. And they were fearful that their own lives were in jeopardy under the vice-regent of Egypt who had discovered a stolen cup in their luggage. Their thinking was, this has happened to us. We've been found out because of what we did to our brother Joseph. No one put that thought in their mind. Their own guilty conscience put that thought there. Eleven years! (laughs) And when they're in trouble in Egypt, that's what they think about. We're in trouble because of... Eleven years ago, we did this and this and this to Joseph. Was betrayal a fitting outlet for their jealousy? The writer of Acts says, because the patriots were jealous of Joseph, they had sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him. Jealousy. There's another word that sounds very much like jealous, except for the first letter, which is a Z, a Z, not a J. By changing just that first letter, the word takes on a positive rather than a negative connotation. Jealous is a vice, but it becomes zealous a virtue. Think about this. Paul writes, It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. Galatians 4, verse 18. In fact, God has redeemed us for this purpose, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for good works. Titus 2, verse 14. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. In the Greek text, the word jealous and the word zealous are one and the same word in the Greek. So it is left to the context of the scriptures to determine how to translate the term. That being so, Luke's analysis in Acts 7 verse 9 was that out of jealousy, Joseph's brothers said, sold him as a slave. Their intent was evil. It wasn't good. They were jealous of Joseph, weren't they? Because of his, Jacob's favoritism towards him. Remember that special robe? And because of those dreams that Joseph had foretelling his leadership over his brothers, they didn't much like that. What might have happened had the vice been turned into a virtue? If instead of being jealous of Joseph, his brothers had been zealous for him. 
Instead of 11 years of anger and guilt for their trickery and their lies, had they been happy for Joseph that God was going to make him a great leader of their family, they could have spent those years in family harmony and peace and appreciation and love and thankfulness and many more graces which flow from being zealous for what is good. Paul cautions us, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Romans 12, verse 15 and following. Or again, he puts it this way, dealing with the negatives. If one part suffers, speaking of the body of Christ, if one part suffers, every part suffers. With it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. That's the way it ought to work. The betrayal of Joseph's brothers was due to the fact that they could not zealously approve Joseph's favored position. We read, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Genesis 37, verse 4. In other words, betrayal was an easier course to take once the lesser trait of jealousy overpowered the virtue of being happy and zealous for Joseph's good. How you spin the blessings, the fortunes, the character of others, if you think the best, that'll go a long way in avoiding the sin of betrayal because betrayal sacrifices people for lesser things. Things like pride or self-importance or self-advancement or prestige or position. Just think about it. And thirdly, betrayal is hurtful because of the spiritual repercussions. David ascending the Mount of Olives outside Jerusalem was betrayed by Ahithophel, a trusted advisor, part of his cabinet, who in the end went home and hanged himself. Jesus, David's heir, yet David's Lord, ascended the Mount of Olives outside Jerusalem when he was betrayed by Judas, a disciple of the inner circle. For 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, who in the end concluded, I have betrayed innocent blood, Matthew 7, 27, verse 4, and throwing the money on the temple floor, he went away and hanged himself. Verse 5. When Ahithophel sided with Absalom against David, he also sided against God. David was the Lord's chosen and anointed king, not Absalom. And as always, it is grievous sin to attempt to undo what the Lord has ordained. 
You remember that David's predecessor, King Saul, was rejected by God because of his flagrant disobedience to God's will. Saul then became what? Jealous. And because of jealousy, he became David's enemy, tried to kill him on a number of occasions. David became a man on the run, hiding in the caves, hiding in the hills, never able to trust On a number of his pursuits, when Saul was asleep at night or in a cave, David could have taken Saul's life. He could have. Think about it. He had opportunity. He had motive. Saul was determined to kill him. He had been duly anointed as the new king by Samuel the prophet. So he had God's approval as Saul's replacement. But time and time again... He refused to touch the Lord's anointed lest he play God by usurping from God what only God had the right to do. Ahithophel's betrayal was an opposition to God and that's what sealed his doom. Jesus put it this way concerning himself, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe, woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It'd be better for him if he had not been born. Matthew 26, verse 24. To betray is to disown, it's to disassociate, it's to renounce what should be believed and revered and loved. Again, Jesus, whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Matthew 10, verse 33 and following. Betrayal has great negative spiritual repercussions. And then lastly, betrayal is hurtful because it is destined to become the rule and not the exception. Once a person starts down this path, look out. You may think you have a very tight-knit family that nothing like betrayal would ever come knocking at your door. But the God who cannot lie predicts what? Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents. I'm reading scripture. And have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 13 verse 12 and 13. Ahithophel had a decision to make. He chose the wrong side. You believers have a decision to make. Choose God over family and set a godly example. That should be your choice. I wish all my family knew the Lord. I do. But I have many in my family that are lost. 
not saved. But I'm not going to abdicate to them and deny Christ. You unbelievers have a decision to make to choose Christ and his salvation. The writer of Hebrews says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Hebrews 3, verse 15. People do harden their heart. Let me tell you something. Conviction of sin is God's call to you to repent and believe. When you feel convicted, that's God speaking to you. And he's calling on you to act. Both repentance and faith are God's gifts, but they must be activated in due time. Today, if you hear his force, why so? I think of the days of Noah's flood when wickedness was at its zenith and judgment was on the horizon. The people were given, what, 120 years to repent and mend their ways during that whole time while Noah was building the ark. This reprieve was temporary, and it was sealed with this warning. My spirit will not contend with man forever. Genesis 6, verse 3. One hundred and twenty years seems to us to be an awfully long time, but when we consider that Noah and his contemporaries lived well over nine hundred years in those days, Noah was nine hundred and fifty years old when he died. Genesis nine verse twenty-nine. If you consider that, then one hundred and twenty years is but one twelfth of their lifetime that was given them to repent. That's not a lot. But what did they do? Instead, they dug in and they betrayed their obligation to worship and serve their creator. Noah, the preacher of righteousness, was mocked and scorned and ridiculed and disbelieved. Hey, you crazy old fool. What are you doing down there? What's that you're making? Boy, that looks awfully big. Well, you know that, Noah. I'm building an ark. What are you going to do with an ark? I'm going to float it, save my fan. Float it? Where's the lake? Uh, where's the ocean? Oh, you can just hear it. In fact, the scripture says that during that time, uh, there weren't lakes and oceans, but mist from the ground came up and watered the earth. So they had no experience with rain. Floods. And that fed their disbelief. Here's Jesus' commentary. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be. It will be in the days of the Son of Man. That's his favorite title for himself. Going to be the same for me when I come. He goes on. People were eating. He's talking about Noah's day. People were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Luke 17. 
verse 26 and 27. And Peter writes of those who disobeyed long ago. Listen to this. Peter writes, God waited patiently. Let me read that. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. What's he waiting for? Repentance and faith. He goes on, Peter says, in, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. First Peter 3, verse 20. Noah and his seven family members. In other words, there was no repentance. There was no great revival. Again, writes Peter in 2 Peter, or yeah, 2 Peter 2, verse 5. Speaking of God, he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, his family. You say, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. The clock of judgment is ticking. The years are coming to an end. What years? The years of God's patience and long-suffering. None are saved from the wrath of God to come, but those who have repented of their sin and come by faith to Jesus the Savior for forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus is a rock in a weary land. We sing as kids that little chorus. Align yourself with Jesus and you will be saved. Betray him. Turn away from him. And you will be lost. God forbid. Holy Father, thank you for your word. It's, it's, it's hard to, to chew on sometimes. Because some of those that are walking away from you and betraying you and not coming to you, belong to our families, and we can't hardly abide that. But today, that's what the scripture says, today's the day of salvation. Today they can come. Today they can repent and believe. And we're asking that you will send your Holy Spirit and send these graces upon them that they might repent and believe. For the glory of Christ, we ask these things. For their own salvation, we ask these things. May we not be among those who betray Christ and the gospel. We've been so blessed in this country. So very, very blessed. But we've turned our back on you. We've laughed and mocked and ridiculed and made fun of religious people all to our own shame and maybe a sign of our own betrayal. Please forgive us. Please draw us into your fold, Lord. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain who try to build it. We can't build it. We can't add one brick to the superstructure. You are the foundation and you must build the superstructure. By your Holy Spirit, we pray that you will do that. Firstly, for your glory, but secondly, for the good 
of everyone that we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal, number 475. Four hundred seventy five in the brown hymnal. I'll play that through, Jared. It might be new tune for people. We know the tune. Go to new words. over his own, we too would be people who betray, betray the truth. We can thank you for the preservation of God, perseverance of God. If he sets his affection upon you, he's not going to let you go. If you've been convicted today of your sin, that's God saying to you, you need to repent and come to Christ. 
And I would pray that you would do that. Well, today's our communion Sunday, so we're going to take a 10-minute break. We get rid of the flowers here. We get our table set for uh, receiving the uh, bread and the wine. And so uh, we'll take 10 minutes and come back when you hear the music being played. Thank you. 